This week, in the enterprise news, a partnership that helps with supply chain risks, application networking, Yara rules, IPO plans that are just as secretive as the company itself, responder.py detection across an entire enterprise's infrastructure, DevOps security training and education, and Aruba, Aruba Networks, that's right, the, the wireless companies, debuting an UEBA solution. Then we'll talk about Equifax and make a lot of speculations about security risk and security leadership. All that and more on this episode of Enterprise Security Weekly. This is Security Weekly. For security professionals, by security professionals. Broadcasting live from G-Unit Studios in Rhode Island, it's the show where we talk security vendors and aren't afraid to name names. It's Enterprise Security Weekly. Was, uh, ha- the teleprompter now has artificial intelligence, Doug, and updates itself. Awesome. <laughs> uh, uh, this week, and talk about them as it relates to enterprise security, you're going to do great. <laughs> we're gonna, we're gonna, <laughs> I think that people think that you and I talk like every day at night. You know, yeah. it's like, hey, what are you doing? It's kind of a bit of an exhausting week, and I think that we noticed that a little bit in the uh, stories for this week as well. Logarithms Netmon Freemium delivers real-time network visibility to quickly identify emerging threats in your IT environment. Netmon Freemium is a free commercial-grade network forensics and traffic analytics solution. You can use Netmon Freemium's powerful capabilities to search against all observed network traffic, identify abnormal traffic patterns and application usage, and quickly analyze full packet captures. Take the first step towards real-time network visibility. Visit logarithm.com forward slash freemium to learn more and download it today. Pony Express, check out their line of penetration testing devices, including the Pone Pad, Pone Phone, and Pone Pro. For enterprises, there's Pone Pulse, providing continuous visibility into wired, Wi-Fi, and Bluetooth spectrums across all physical locations, including remote sites and branch offices. For all those hard-to-reach places, there's Pony Express. Visit them on the web at PonyExpress.com. Are you worried about PCI compliance? Does your development team understand or care about security? Are you ready to face a breach of your customer's sensitive data? See the worst that can happen before it does. Black Hills Information Security can help you help management see the future. Email consulting at blackhillsinfosec.com to find out how a web application penetration test can mitigate the risk before you go live. Welcome, everyone, to this episode of Enterprise Security Weekly. This is episode 62, and it is, in fact, September 19th. 19th, 2017, I hope. And on the lines via Skype, we have none other than John Strand. John, welcome hey. back. I missed you. <laughs> yeah, me too. I was, what the hell happens? I, I take like two weeks off to go teach at Sands, do a couple of things. And like, like what, half of the American population's data is breached publicly via Equifax? How in the hell do I miss these things, Paul? You're, oh, it's like when it coincides always when you're teaching at Sands, like some big event. Happens. Yeah, it, it's ridiculous. <laughs> so we need to work on that. Mm-hmm. No more big events when John is teaching at Sands. So if you're yes. Equifax, delay that till after the Sands conferences, please. Absolutely. Thank you. A couple of quick announcements before we get started. Go to itpro.tv forward slash enterprise security. Use the code ES30. Try it free for seven days and get 30% off your monthly membership for the lifetime of your active subscription. Sign up for the supervisor portal. That's right. Your employer can get you some training and they can manage your training. They can assign training modules. It's a lot of fun. Speaking of training. Yes, try it. Do it. 
B-Sides Connecticut is uh, a day-long information security conference that is sold out. It's happening on October 7th. If you're interested in sponsoring, that comes with tickets. And there's a waiting list. You can find out more at bsidesct.org. Okay. John, we've got some news to talk about this week. I'm, I'm happy to say it's better than last week. Uh, Matt Alderman uh, filled in for you last week, and the, the stories were kind of they – were, they were rough. They were rough. I think Matt These got, are good stories this week. Matt got a little confused on JavaScript versus Java, but you know, other than that, things were okay, <laughs> which is just funny. Uh, oh, and speaking of Java, you know, it's kind of interesting. I've been following the Java stuff uh, somewhat closely, and I was reading something the other day that said there's 9 million Java developers, and it's still one of the most popular language, especially oh, yeah. on the server side for enterprises. I didn't realize it was that widely adopted. So last week we talked about like how long it's going to take for Java to go by the wayside, much like COBOL did. I, I don't think we're there anytime soon. I think there's uh, a much bigger uh, adopt, adoption rate uh, that has happened over time. So much, even though Oracle's like, yeah, we're just we're not going to do the enterprise edition anymore. Like it's free now. We're giving it to an open source project. Like all the stuff is happening on the Java front, including vulnerabilities. So. Well, in that the Java thing, I mean, we still see it in quite a few of our customers' environments today. Uh, it's not going away now. Java, as far as like a web browser plugin, that's definitely starting to go away. But as yes. far as Java being used, it, it's still stupid um, in many places. It's being used, and I think that if we're looking at at kind of a time frame, we still have some infrastructures to this day that are still using COBOL yeah. uh, for batch processing and financial systems. So if we look at that as like a lead time. Uh, granted, it's not very, it's not used in very many places, but where it is used, it's definitely critical. If we try to move that over to Java and we do some quick math just behind the napkin calculations, people are going to be using Java until the heat death of the universe. So, yeah, yep. Uh, anyway, in the news, um, CyberGRX partners with BitSight to address supply chain risks. Now they call out the target as the example. Um, after it was breached, of course, by the HVAC uh, supplier. And they called mm-hmm. it out as a kind of a supply chain thing, which, okay, that's, that, that's fair, I guess. Um, CyberGRX is a uh, global risk exchange providing uh, a storehouse of validated third-party risk assessments. I believe we interviewed someone from CyberGRX on uh, Startup Security Weekly, if memory uh, serves. BitSite is the leader of the security ratings market, with their ability to continuously rate security performance of third parties. It's interesting. You would think these two would compete, but apparently they're partnering. Yeah, I thought it was weird too. I thought for sure it was going to be um, I thought for sure it was going to be a competition between these two. But this is so I'll kind of I'll set it up a little bit for the people that are listening, and then I want to get your take on it, Paul. Mm. So the idea is there's enough information publicly about many organizations where you can do analysis, you can do assessment of how their external interfaces are configured. So for example, not just interfaces, but their external exposure. If the organization has multiple accounts and multiple breaches on something like Pwn List or they're on Have I Been Pwned, and there's lots and lots and lots of emails that have been compromised that would give you a higher score rating. If your organization, if you're running built with on the outside doing some basic recon and your organization shows a high instance of server 2003's uh, servers for the mm-hmm. web infrastructure, that's going to give you a higher risk rating. If any of the infrastructure that showed up, let's say Shodan, pull down banner information for the services, it shows that you're running out of date software, that's going to give you a higher security risk scorecard. 
is there value in actually doing that to assess the quality of the product that the organization is going to produce for you? Basically, I'm asking, is there a correlation between the security of an organization protecting their own assets and the security and the quality of the products they produce? I think there's some uh, – certainly there's no hard and fast relationship there, right? But mm-hmm. I think it it can factor in like you know maybe a 20% – uh, of a factor that says, you know, the security of the organization relates to the security of the product. Um, but it could just be very hyper-focused on the product and not focused on the uh, security of the organization. Or maybe it's the mm-hmm. other way around. But I, I don't know. I don't think it's a really good... Unless it's a services-based company, I think, you know, with CyberGRX right there, saying, well, if you're going to partner with or use this company's services, you know, we've done an evaluation. They're not just evaluating the company, but also somewhat the security of their products and how they treat maybe the data going in and out of their products, right? So yeah. uh, CyberGRX, I think, does a good job in, in interviewing them. Uh, I found that out. I don't know what – something just fell in the studio. Sorry, I thought I was being <laughs> attacked. So, um, it, so I think they do a good job of helping you understand the risk of people that you're either using services from, partnering with, you know, that kind of thing. So, but the, you know, using the uh, story that they set this up with, the target breach – um, I, don't, I have no idea what the security was of the HVAC vendor, whether or not it was good or bad, but would it have any bearing whatsoever as to whether or not there was default credentials baked into the firmware? No idea. Um, right. I don't think that it ties together that well. I think it's still an important thing. Like you said, I, I think that the percentage is, you know, put it into a 20% category with a company to basically say, hey, you guys have tons of breached credentials and you're trying to sell us crap. Maybe you need to get your house in order. I think it's good for the hygiene of the industry as a whole, mm-hmm. but I don't necessarily believe it's going to be great in making the sole determining fa- determining factor for each point-by-point decision to purchase a product. Um, Riverbed is touting application uh, networking. I don't know. I don't know what that means. Dude, I, I was I, hoping I, that you would have read this and know what the hell it is. <laughs> I. I, I, I this- Dude, I went to their website. I read their website. I read this entire press release. And you still don't really know what problem they solve no. or the solutions they have? No. It's basically cool, cool, cool technology. Cool. Trust us. It's awesome. Uh, the future of networking, um, end-to-end network apl- application and end-user experience monitoring, delivering flawless end-user experience for employees and customers. It's just this is this is I, I, and here's the thing paul we know people at riverbed they're not a dumb company no um they're they're an amazing company with some really amazing products so we'll put it out is there anybody at riverbed that could come on the show and explain what the hell this is okay cutting through all the marketing hype because this is awful yeah i just you know you look on and matt alderman i talked about this last week john right you look on the website and i i want to understand the problem that they solve I want to understand their point of view on that problem and how they might solve it differently or uniquely or in a more innovative fashion than, than other people, or maybe just in a way I've never thought about. And I want to know something about how, how they do that. And so many press releases and websites, they just, I mean, this one is a, a prime example. Transform your network with SD-WAN. What does that mean? I don't know what that means. Redefine your, WAN? Redefine your network with Riverbed. Learn how to build the network of tomorrow. Like, what is the network of tomorrow? I have a network today that has problems. 
Why do I need the network of tomorrow? I don't get it. I know what this is. They're done with TCP IP. There's no IP version six IP. Ver- it's brand new. It's SDR. Uh, that no, I don't. I don't know. This but the, is just you know, it, it, the sad part, and you you alluded to this, John, is that you know they're making an announcement, which is what we're trying to cover. Uh, they're touting application. This could be a fantastic solution. It, it's just, yeah, it yeah, could be. It's lost in the messaging. Yeah. So the, the invite goes out. Is it okay? We say invite to our friends at Riverbed who are Please. smart, yes. amazing tech people. Send us an email and uh, we'd like to get you on the show. And it would be great if we could do a comparison. It's about what their marketing says and what their tech people say. And right. uh, kind of do that kind of diffusing of the, the, the jargon here because this is just awful. Um, Malwarebytes Labs, of, of all people, um, have <laughs> made a post about Yara rules. And I say of all people because I, – I, well, I guess it does relate. I guess it is – Yara is part of an endpoint detection and response uh, strategy potentially um, and can be used to identify malware. So, okay, that's not, that's not a stretch. Um, and, John, I know you've got some experience with, with Yara. What, what I've heard is – it's like a, several things that are open source. Like, yeah, you can do it, but it's a huge time investment in uh, kind of a bear to manage. Is that is it your experience? That's that's my experience. Most of the Yara rules out there are pretty much garbage. Uh, they basically are looking for specific strings inside of executables, maybe mapped up with some with some hash values, um, and that's that's okay. Yara itself, I think, is a great concept, right? Mm-hmm. But you know, sharing that IOC information and and doing that and kind of sharing up what we're seeing, I think that that's cool, but in all honesty, uh, most organizations, the Yara rules you get are just hash and string string matches, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. But um, but this is a good article. I mean, actually it going through article, and explaining yeah. Yara, I think this is a great mm-hmm. article. It's useful, Absolutely. and a lot of people have no idea what the hell Yara is. It's a great it's a great step into Yara, and I wish I would have had it when I first was dealing with this from years ago. Mm. Is it one of those open source things that an enterprise could adopt and be successful with? Yes. Um, there's a bunch of tools. I know Derek was getting ready to do some webcasts on this that you can actually create Yara rules and there's tools that actually look for Yara hits on your computer system. So that's that's helpful. But it's basically a way of exchanging information about malware and then being able to detect that malware um, in an environment across like an IOC, right up an IOC. And that's not necessarily – IOCs are different, but it's the same concept, indicators of compromise in Yara rules that you can share as an open source. I think Styx does something similar as yep. well. Yep. So it's a way of sharing information about malware, and there's value in that in some limited respects. But uh, right now the way it's being used is just a glorified blacklist. Have you heard of pa- Palantir? Yes, we know Palantir very well. Okay. Do you know what they do? Yes. Um, so basically, it's large data analytics and trending. And Palantir is one of those companies that's very secretive. They do a tremendous amount of work for the United States government, both classified and unclassified. And it's basically pulling in a tremendous amount of information and then trying to find patterns within that large information data set. So machine learning and, and, and artificial huh? intelligence oh, and, there, and big there's data. There's no question. Okay. Yeah, there's no question. But I think that they're closer to what you and I talk about when we mm-hmm. talk about machine learning and big data analytics is we don't talk about a tool that automatically does everything for you, but something that will give you distilled information, and then you can sift through the data to actually uh, – distilled raw data sets. So you can actually build that up and get discernible information from it. That's where Palantir shines better than I think anybody on the face of the planet. And the fact that they've been really, really quiet, especially with all this push for artificial intelligence and machine learning that we're seeing everywhere, has been weird to me for the past few like months. I, it's very strange that I haven't seen them in this area making a play, but 
now uh, it looks like they have a reason for it. It looks like they're they're working on something big. Um, Symmetria, I know um, you and Gotti have like a, a bromance uh, going on. <laughs> I yeah. think that's the best way to describe it. I can't blame you. Uh, I sat down with Gotti at, uh, at Black Hat uh, at a, a short chat with him. I wish I could have spent more time because he's an awesome person. Um, they have a, a post on the Symmetria site about detecting uh, responder.py. Um, mm-hmm. and I know you know some of their technology, John. Um, that's not just FUD, right? Like they can actually do no, some of that with no, their exception technology, correct? Yeah, they can actually they can actually detect it. So a little bit of background for the people that are listening. Um, link local multicast name resolution is basically where your computer system can't find an answer via DNS to look up an IP address. So it asks the machines local to it if they happen to know the IP address of a system. It's a broadcast that goes out to all local systems. And you can be running a tool called Responder and lie. So if someone's trying to go to Google, you can lie and tell them the IP address for Bing and imagine the horrors that ensue there. And um, you can also use it to intercept uh, credentials and hashes and things like that. Uh, usually, um, NTL MV2. Uh, it's not an NTL MV2 hash, but it's an authentication of NTL MV2. Now, um, what this tool does, it actually feeds fake information into an attacker that's trying to run this attack. And then you can actually point them to a server where Maze Runner is set up so we can track them and do some really cool stuff. So Symmetria just has been awesome in this kind of breadcrumbs, maze runner analogy of creating fake kind of upside down turnets uh, for bad guys and environments and uh, just love what they're doing. And actually, ironically enough, um, uh, Bo and Brian and – hold on. Let me get the name of the tool. It sounds, Bo, um, it sounds similar to Javelin. Javelin Networks has similar – uh, technology it's, it's a, more tightly coupled to Active Directory security and less mm-hmm. on the deception side. Although they have a deception component that plays inside of their their products. So. Absolutely. So uh, we're going to be releasing at DerbyCon in just a few days uh, Responder Guard, which does something very, very, very similar in giving fake credentials out. So Derek, Bo, and Brian will be releasing Responder Guard, and we have a security weekly webcast on this and a whole bunch of other tools coming up next week after DerbyCon for the people that can attend live. So Symmetria, commercial tool, great. We love Gotti. We're going to be releasing some open source tools uh, that do something similar. And to be fair, just so everyone knows, one of the reasons why we like Gotti and the people at Symmetria is they release a lot of their stuff for free for limited engagements, and they release a lot of tools and research to the community publicly as well. So very yeah. cool stuff. Also, uh, Javelin Networks has uh, the very same capabilities as you're describing, John, being presented oh, yeah. uh, at DerbyCon. They did a series yep. of uh, five technical segments on Paul Security Weekly, showed all of the attacks running, including Responder, and showed their product uh, detecting them. So if you're kind of skeptical about that technology, you can actually go watch them do it <laughs> live on Security Weekly in five different technical uh, segments, which is, which is awesome. Uh, so and they're, they're constantly building on their platform new capabilities, and they have an open source thing that they released. I'll send that information to you after, John. Uh, they'll probably be coming on the shows more to talk about uh, their recently released open source uh, offering. <laughs> See, and that's why we love companies like – and isn't Javelin an Israeli company too? They are, yes, yes. Dude, the Israelis uh, are absolutely kicking ass Amazing. Uh, all the way up and down. So Amazing. that's cool. Um, let's see. So uh, this is kind of boring stories to, to be honest with you. Nothing as exciting as what we've talked about so far, John. Um, 
Uh, you may no. not be in control, but you're still responsible. Sure, I think that plays into yeah, our next topic. Apple Pie. Yeah. Um, um, White yeah. Hat launches uh, a DevOps security and training education. I mean, yeah, they should. I mean, if I was, well, that's what they do, and I, and I think that that's a great approach, right? Yeah, it's a great I, they have a great move. reputation, so I, I would totally take training from them or recommend our developers take training from them, right? Um, yeah. Excuse me. This one from Aruba debuts 360 secure fabric. Including introspect EUBA. I was just so, curious, what's Aruba? What oh, doesn't it seem like they're getting into this party a little late, Paul? Uh, well, Aruba, of course, was bought by Hewlett Packard. Now it's now it's making more sense. So they're going to make some of these integrations. Uh, is a new introspect user entity and behavior analytics offering it comes to Aruba uh, from EUB vendor Niara, which HP acquired. Oh, okay. So this is just oh, HP glomming their acquisitions together. <laughs> Which, I mean, it could be a good thing. Aruba and Niara both are fantastic, were fantastic companies, now part of HP, hopefully equally still fantastic companies. If HP wants to blend them together, I think that's great. Now, now the trick is, uh, for anybody that's listening, Paul, I think that we need to get some caution on the table right now. Um, So if you're new to computer security and you're seeing HP that's basically pulling Aruba and they're pulling Niara and all these things together – um, and you get all excited, right? You're like, yay, this is what I've been looking for my whole life. <laughs> this almost never goes well. Uh, just giving it's, you some examples. Historically, so IBM, yes. um, IBM purchasing tons of companies and trying to string them together, and then they ultimately die on the vine. Mm-hmm. You have Cisco, uh, which basically almost every single company that they've tried to purchase up until fairly recently, um, they did a fantastically horrible job of actually integrating these products into the Cisco line and making them more or less unified. I think that I got better with Firepower and SourceFire whenever they acquired SourceFire mm-hmm. and some of the newer newer things that they've been working on. But by and large, whenever a large company buys a lot of small companies and then tries to hobble that crap together and make it work, it usually doesn't work for at least a year or two um, if it ever works at all. So anything that you're doing, looking and you're like, we're going to purchase this now that they have it incorporated – Run it in the lab, set it up, test it thoroughly, because odds are it's not going to work the way it's supposed to um, at all. Because they're shifting all of their development cycles from making product X work really, really well to now trying to integrate products X with their overall ecosystem. And that creates problems. And, Paul, are there any other vendors that you can think of? I know IBM and Cisco are the two biggest ones that jump into mind. And I know HP uh, was like this for years, just buying up companies and then well, they died. C- CA certainly had that that reputation. Mm-hmm. However, more right. recently, CA Unicenter. Well, and more recently, you know, they've made uh, the Veracode acquisition and some other um, security and technology related acquisitions that really make sense. Um, and from everything I've heard and, and spoken with people, things are going really well. So, I, I think a lot of these larger companies, John really realized that they were making these acquisitions and really screwing it up and trying <laughs> to do a better job. Um, and, and that takes yep. time in a really large organization like that. But I really do believe in covering, you know, this technology and, and security uh, in depth in this aspect for uh, the better part of a year now. Uh, I really yeah. do see it, it, it getting better. However, okay. I do still hear horror stories. No, we do. And I think that the, the other thing on the other side of that, on, on the other side of that spectrum, and I don't know what your opinion is on this, but a lot of my customers, whenever they approach me at IONS calls or SANS conferences or anything like that, they say, well, we want to go buy hot technology X. And 
I'm cautioning them against doing that. There is something to be said about a unified environment. Let's just use Symantec or McAfee. As much as we rip on those products constantly, the fact is a lot of those products can have unified incident response. They have unified firewall management. They have unified endpoint protection. And being able to go to one vendor to handle all of those things is somewhat important. Also, a lot of those vendors have features that you can turn on to do 80% of what hot, super cool startup Security X is doing. So a lot of my customers, especially in the endpoint security market, there are so many vendors that are coming up trying to do the exact same things. Then I'm telling people, step back, pause, wait for what's going to happen with the big players that you already have in your environment, because odds are they're going to implement these technologies eventually. And it's going to be much better to roll it into an existing infrastructure, existing alerting infrastructure, existing management infrastructure, than to try to have 15 vendors do what one vendor does and then try to correlate everything from multiple different uh, logins and event logs and everything. It's just, it is, it is, there is something to be said about tying everything together. It's just usually it doesn't work really well when it happens like this week they merge and you expect the product to integrate seamlessly in a month right, from now. Right. Awesome. Well, we're going to take a short break, come back, talk about the Equifax breach. I'm, I'm really excited to hear what John thought your thoughts and opinions are on some of the things about this breach. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. Make sure your team is prepared to fight off the latest cybersecurity threat. IT Pro TV is the resource to keep you and your IT team skills up to date. You can stream IT Pro TV's courses live and on demand worldwide, so there's no need to send staff to off-site training. Their team solution provides access to a supervisor portal for full control over your team's training schedule and group analytics. Visit itpro.tv forward slash enterprise security and use the code ES30 to try it free for seven days and receive 30% off off your monthly membership for the lifetime of your active subscription. To learn more about IT Pro TV's team solution, sign up for a free demo of their supervisor portal. Welcome back, everyone, to Enterprise Security Weekly, where we're going to have an enterprise take on the Equifax uh, breach. We did kind of the consumer version on our Secure Digital Life program with Doug White and myself. You can find that at securedigitallife.com. That's the show, like, if you listen to this show or Paul Security Weekly and you're like, wow, that's great, but I have no idea what you guys are talking about, uh, you should go listen to Secure Digital Life at securedigitallife.com. And a couple of quick announcements before we dig into it. Sans Hackfest. John, tell us how awesome the Sans Hackfest is. We, got, we came up with a list, Paul, of all of the best speakers in the information security community that we could think of that we know well enough to convince them to get on an airplane and come to South Dakota. We put out requests well, that, to every would, single one of them. That would be Wild West Hacking Fest. That, that's okay, though. Yeah. You can oh, talk wait, about that Oh, this is a different one. I thought you said Hacking Fest. Hack <laughs> you have it on your brain because it's pretty one. soon. It's pretty. It's about a month oh, away. Well, tell us about yeah, Hacking Fest, ha- uh, Wild West Hacking so, Fest and then Sands Hack Fest. Okay. How about that? All right, so Wild West Hacking Fest, we got a whole bunch of people coming to South Dakota. It's awesome. It's out in the middle of nowhere. We're paying for breakfast. We're paying for lunch. We got a dinner one of the nights. There's a Halloween party. Bo and I are going to going to do a metal show. Uh, Bo is really, really into, I think it's technically black metal, and I'm going to be singing. Uh, so we've got all kinds of craziness, so chaos. Raci- that, that's so that racist, John. So racist. No, black metal. <laughs> Just joking. I got, I got in, I got in touch with my, my, my inner darkness. I didn't know there was going to be a Halloween. I, 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 need, I need a full briefing now and everything. I didn't know there was going to be a Halloween party. I had to plan a costume now. Dude, I, I, you just <laughs> wear a plaid shirt and say that you're me. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. Um, now, what about Sands Hackfest? That's after. So, this is November now. So, October and then November. So, Hackfest is like basically, if you look at Hackfest, it's like the warm up gig for Hackfest. 
And then Hackfest is out in the D.C. area. Ed Scotus is putting that one on. And it's just, once again, just stupid. Um, amazing presenters. All kinds of new tools get dropped there. Uh, they have uh, Net Wars, where you, if you didn't get a challenge coin from any classes that you've taken, uh, you can go there and win some more challenge coins for each level that you progress through in Net Wars. Ed always does this thing where it's like the super secret dinner out. And they've gone to the Spy Museum. Uh, they went to the Air and Space Museum. Um, really... Really, honestly, Ed, Ed puts on one of the best shows in the world, uh, hands down. So go ahead and check out that one as well. It's just going to be a really, really cool time and some amazing things in D.C. Awesome. Uh, we're giving a webcast today for Endgame, securityweekly.com forward slash Endgame. We are going to talk about evaluating uh, technology uh, for Endgame and detection and response. I think that's today. When, is, when are we doing this? 4 like, to 5 p.m. Like today? hour from now. Yeah, yeah, like really pretty soon, pretty soon. Uh, and then uh, we're also doing one for logarithm. I don't know if you're on the logarithm one, John. I, I don't know. Sam books me on these things, and <laughs> I write the slides the day before. So I might be. So securityweekly.com forward slash logarithm, if I can spell it. I, I, didn't, I didn't spell it right that time. But it's securityweekly.com forward slash logarithm, information with the logarithm one. We're going to talk about phishing, uh, anti-phishing and phishing stuff on that one. And then... Cyber Reason, I didn't even tell you this one yet. I don't know when it's booked, but pretty soon, securityweekly.com forward slash Cyber Reason. John, they want us to talk about threat intelligence and what we think about threat intelligence, and then they're going to give their perspective on how they help people overcome the shortcomings of threat intelligence. How about that? I, I think you can handle that one. I, I, think, that's I think I got that one. I think I got that one. I think I can list out all the problems of cyber threat intelligence if they want to come. And they, they're, they've been really, really cool with us in the past. Absolutely. It, it's weird that they're sponsors, but they were like, yes, we agree with what John says. And it's like, what? Oh, okay. Uh, but they do some really cool stuff that doesn't add up to just cyber threat intelligence. They do a lot of other integration. Well, Cyber Reason uh, does endpoint detection response and has a team of people that are doing threat hunting. And so yeah. doing that, they're like, wow, threat intelligence has some issues. Very similar <laughs> to your journey, right? Doing threat hunting, you're like, holy crap, threat intelligence really has some issues. Uh, so we're going we're gonna to get on a, a webcast. Hopefully, I don't know if you'll, you're here for that one, though. I don't think you're here for that one. We have to get someone else. But anyway. If I am, it's going to be awesome. If I'm not, it's going to be awesome. It's just, you know, I, I'm kind of shocked. We've got a lot of really good vendors that let, let us talk about whatever the hell we want to talk about. And uh, they they they're cool with it. It's it's very nice. It's awesome. You should so you should check those out. Securityweekly.com forward slash the vendor name. Uh, uh, Endgame is today, and we'll post the the archives where you can get it if you missed it. And then there's Logarithm, and then there is uh, Cyber Reason. So go do that. All right. Hey, Equifax. What what I haven't even talked to you about the Equifax breach yet, John. What do you what do you so, think? So we talked about it a little bit before the show started and I kind of joked about it, but it's one of those what the hell uh, type breaches. Um, I think it's like now 140, 147 million accounts, possibly social security numbers and uh, dates of birth. And we've never gotten full clarity on what the attackers got access to. And that's bad, right? Any organization can be compromised and that's bad. We somewhat expect that. But if we start kind of backing up and we look at how Equifax handled this, and a lot of this is just rumor at this point, but if we look at the timeline, there's a bunch of things that are very troubling about what's going on at Equifax. The first thing is the timing of the release of notifying the public about this breach. It was right as uh, uh, Hurricane Ermagerd was attacking the United <laughs> States. They're like, oh, well, well, there's a breach. And I think the hope was that the hurricane news cycle would bury this story. Mm -hmm. 
And that clearly did not happen. Was not the case, no. That was not the case. And then on top of that, there was a couple of executives that sold a whole bunch of stock the day before, I believe, or very shortly before couple, it was actually I think actually it was a announced. couple of days before. It's a couple of days, they yeah. They claim they didn't know about it, which <laughs> I, I think is bad. Total I think garbage. The but. smartest uh, question that someone asked on that front was, what was the date that Mandiant was brought in? And if that was before they sold the stock, then they were most certainly – the thought is they were lying about not knowing about it because – if you have a breach and you're bringing someone like Mandy in to, to clean it up, right, um, the fact that the CFO wouldn't know about that expenditure would probably not be true, right, because CFO was one of the ones that, that uh, was – Has to sign off stock. on it. Yeah, they have to sign off on right? bringing Mandy. I mean you've got to imagine a breach of that uh, size. You're not, you're not just bringing Mandy in. You're probably bringing in another public relations kind of firm as well. That's, mm-hmm. that's millions of dollars right there. In a breach of that size, no, right? At least just just calling Mandiant. I, I think it's I think it's uh, I think it's nine ninety five per minute. I'm yeah. not sure. I mean, nine hundred ninety five dollars is per so minute. bad these days uh, <laughs> that they're now. I think their default number to call them is a one nine hundred number. Um, so it, it's it's bad all the way through. Yeah, but and now then they the final fired strong. Well, they huh? well uh, the CSO uh, has retired. Uh, Two, from, the CISO and the the I think CISO the and the CIO. Yes, we're both yeah. uh, the CIO Retired. was listed. Yeah, well, the CIO was listed as having left. The CSO was having listed as being retired. So, yeah. but you and know, in both that's kind those, of the equivalent of taking a cow out, putting some grain in the middle of the field, rubbing them on the head, and when they start eating, shooting them. Uh, that's you know, we just retired some cows. Yes, way. exactly. Um, so, but John, my thought on that was. I don't necessarily – I think a lot of people put a lot of blame and there was this whole hoopla of how the CISO had a music degree. Like that, that matters to me so little. I, it's, I, I can't even tell you what their background was. is completely irrelevant. But the fact that they were both effectively removed from their positions, even though they say retired and, and left, they were essentially forced out. And probably damage control for public relations would be my guess. I'm not sure. Uh, there's no question it's damage control for public relations. I, I agree with you on the music degree thing. My bachelor's is in political science, political theory, and international studies. Um, what's your degree background? I thought you actually had a technical degree, though. Uh, I have a degree in business with a concentration in information systems. See, you're, you're a business degree. There's right, no way exactly. you should be doing Why, why am I doing security? <laughs> I don't have a degree in security. Oh, wait. You couldn't get a degree in security when John and I were in college. <laughs> and the crap that we were learning in college that you could have learned in an IT degree was coding in freaking COBOL, COBOL. and Fortran. Yes, it was so, the COBOL at my school. Yes, it was. I didn't so take it. that's garbage, anyway. right? Um, but, but the point – so of this entire breach is I think that this is textbook on how, how not to handle a breach. I think if there was any series of mistakes that they could have hit, they hit them. They had an earlier breach in March that they didn't notify people about. They didn't notify the people who were impacted. They notified their customers of the breach. They had another breach with the exact same vulnerability, the Apache Struts vulnerability that came out. And you know, and then notification during a massive event to try to bury it, um, selling stock right before that information is actually made public. I mean, this is bad. This now, is, this is things, something straight out of John. Uh, Mr. I don't Robot. know. I don't know if you you heard this from you know some of my like more kind of undergroundish sources, right? But I, I did read some articles, and I can't find them right now. But I did read something about that the attackers who did the attack or someone who knew how the attack was carried out was coming out and saying it wasn't the Apache Struts vulnerability, that it was most definitely 
a uh, username and password of admin admin on one of their interconnected applications. So uh, users in one country of Equifax could access the credit information, and those credentials were were like admin admin or something like that. And that it had very little to do with the Apache Struts vulnerability. That may have been one thing that they accessed in the attack, but. I uh, read some rumblings about that uh, people claiming that it was because of a, a default username and password. It absolutely could be either one of those. And I think uh, it, this goes back to vulnerability management, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of the stuff kind of circles back. The fact that you're running Apache and you're running old versions of Apache with the uh, vulnerable REST interface and Xtreme is bad. Uh, not getting that patched is bad. Having a default user ID and password on an external facing interface is bad. Bad. And I don't think that there's any way that this comes out. But here's the thing that I'm I'm thinking, and I could be completely wrong about all of this, is the March breach. Let's talk about that one in particular. The March breach, the fact that they didn't notify their customers, the fact that they brought Mandiant, the fact that they notified some of their uh, business-to-business customers. The concern that I have about that vulnerability is they honestly don't know. Um, Mm -hmm. and that's a worst case scenario for a customer. So if you're looking at these breaches, it could be that the attackers use the Apache struts vulnerability after the initial exploitation. It could have been that they accessed and broke into systems with admin admin after the initial exploitation, but it could very, it's possible that one, we don't know how they got in in the first place. And two, um, there's a big concern, at least where I'm sitting, looking at the March breach that honestly, people don't know what they got access to. And those are horrifying, horrifying conundrums because, as you know, Paul, very well, it's possible that we may never know the entire story because that data may not be available. Right. I, I think – and what I called out, John, and I don't know if you agree or not, is that I don't blame individuals. I don't blame particular vulnerabilities. Uh, I don't blame you know, some of the specific processes that, or the way they handled the breach. What I can firmly place the blame on is a complete lack of creating any type of security culture that probably worries me the most about this breach, that you have such a large company with so much PII on not just Americans, but people in other countries as well, and their complete lack of creating any kind of security culture from everything that you've just described, everything we've been reading, all of the reports, even Equifax's own communications, seems to me like they just did not do a good job of creating a security culture. And, and going further, the, the, you know, that is absolutely 100% correct, but also the question of what next. There right. is nothing about this breach at all that I think is going to qualitatively and quantitatively improve security in bad organizations. Because if you have a bad CISO, a bad CEO, bad CFO, they just saw what happened with Equifax. And they said, well, this organization took a small hit in their stock price. It went right back up to where it was. We saw that same trend in Target. So this is basically reinforcing a lot of bad security practices for other corporations. Because this this company, honestly, after a breach of this magnitude, should have substantial fines going against it. There should be substantial lawsuits that should drive this company into the ground, and it should be reflected in their stock price. It hasn't. So it's reinforcing bad behavior for bad organizations. So my kind of last thought on that approach is if you work in an organization and they come in and they're panicking about this Equifax breach and it's all the way up to the CEO, the CFO, the CIO, then you're in a good security organization. They want to do what's right. But if you're in an organization that looks at something like this and upper management looks at it and goes, meh, we've got insurance and that didn't seem to impact that organization too terribly. We're going to continue on business as usual. This is a market for people that are looking for security jobs. Take advantage of that to leave and go find a good company to work for. Mm. 
I, I find it interesting that um, this Apache Struts vulnerability, there's uh, some evidence that Brian Krebs uh, broke the other day that uh, Experian has also unpatched uh, examples of that and actually linked to evidence, uh, really good proof that it does, in fact, uh, is vulnerable to this. And I think this stems back to our previous conversation about organizations using the enterprise uh, versions of Java, uh, server-side Java, and that's how many of these enterprise applications are built, and not taking the time or the diligence in creating the processes to remediate vulnerabilities and or, like, patch this stuff in any in any capacity, it seems like, I, unless their patching plan was every six months. I mean, it is a business critical application. <laughs> Look, I've been the sysadmin We've responsible for Java. Uh, it, some of it was WebSphere. Some of it was actually Jakarta. Remember Jakarta? Yep. Right. I was responsible. We still see it in Pentest. I was responsible for the maintenance of enterprise Java, um, you know, web applications, not the code, but the infrastructure. Dude, in updating, it's like a big deal. It can break a ton of stuff. So I get that. But to be this large and really not communicate any evidence about like where they went wrong and how what they're doing to improve it in the future, which really should be part of this, this breach control, is just mm-hmm. shocking to me. So what you're saying is they're just going to continue to ignore these issues or continue with their same patch process when they lost all this information? Like, Well, look at, look at all of the reinforcement that's happened this past year of bad behavior. You have yet another large organization that gets hit, doesn't impact the stock price. You have the uh, eternal blue hits, compromises yeah. Windows XP, unpatched Windows 7 systems, all of these old operating systems, and Microsoft releases a patch for operating systems that were end of life. That reinforces that we don't have to patch our systems because if it's bad enough, Microsoft will release a patch for us. Right. There's been a lot of reinforcement of incredibly bad behaviors. And that's why I have some hope, and this is horrible. I know some people are going to spam me on this, but if you look at GDPR and the fact that they can actually, I think it's, they can fine you up to 6% of your profits. That's going to be huge. Um, at some point we need to start having financial penalties against these organizations to hold them accountable, um, as quickly as possible. It's, it's amazing that there is no penalty today in just suffering the breach, as you pointed out, John. Like, there's really, like, ah, yeah, it's like a little bit of harm, but really no foul, and we'll just, you know, we'll continue on like everyone has, and that, it, you're right, it reinforces the bad uh, behavior. But I, I also think it's, uh, it's resiliency to your business-critical applications that I, it shows they're also not concerned with that, because they're not patching their enterprise applications because it, it might mean downtime, and if you're in an organization that hasn't figured that out or doesn't have a plan to figure that out moving forward in the future, like you're way behind. I feel like you're way behind the, the eight ball. And there are organizations on the complete opposite end of that that are using containers and, and DevOps. And I mean, they're so far ahead of that problem. And that's mm-hmm. why I'm very concerned about the enterprise Java usage and it just like being stuck in a rut of running these older uh, applications. Now, I'm curious if organizations are putting java uh web servers and web technology inside of containers and having luck in deploying that which allows you to still use java but allows you to be more resilient uh in terms of patching and updating it that there probably are people doing if you are doing that please reach out find us well i want to know about it but i think it's cool 
But if you look at any software development lifecycle or uh, any any like DevOps, any of those things, whenever you you should have a plan for building software, you should have a plan for accepting software, you should have a plan for using and maintaining software. But the thing that's key for any software development lifecycle is there needs to be a plan for replacing and retiring software. And organizations do not have plans in place for retiring and replacing software. It's not even a policy or a process that exists at all in the vast majority of organizations. So do you find that no too? Do you find that is that a question you ask John when you do like a web app pen test or evaluate the web applications that there's usually no plan, no. right? Yeah, usually it's it shows up in our audits for like PCI audits mm-hmm. and 20 critical control audits. It's basically do you have a plan for retiring your software? And if they don't, they need to get that in uh, very quickly. Right. I I I you know, I I think that there needs to be a huge culture shift and I'm starting to see that shift where before, like we talked about COBOL, right? Like you said, well, we're going to write software, and this is the software that's going to run our business from now until the end of time. When you write software today, you have to think about how you're going to change and adopt the new technologies because it'll help your business be better. There has to be some business mm-hmm. driver. I think there is, but I don't, like you say, John, I, I don't see companies looking to adopt that because writing software is hard. The process is hard. Replacing things is hard. Training your users is hard. It's all difficult things to do, but it, it doesn't require you going out and spending money on security technology or a lot of IT stuff even because now we're talking about running things in the cloud. We're talking about it's yeah. software-defined everything now. It should be easier once you make that initial jump to keep evolving your technology. I see so many organizations not not doing it like you you say, John. It's, well, it's and, and until people get burnt hard enough to actually hurt the organization and yeah. ultimately hurt the executives, and really that's who needs to get hurt. Uh, the CSO, the CIO are burnt, but honestly the CEO, the CFO, like all of them, need to get turned over very, very quickly. But, you know, you can try to punish the organization. And this is where this sucks. Let's say that a large company gets hit, right? Let's say General Electric gets hit. And you levy all these fines against General Electric, and General Electric lays off 100,000 employees. Then we have the employees who are punished for basically the sins of executive management for not taking this seriously. And that's not what anybody wants. Uh, Really, the accountability needs to tie up to the level where it goes all the way up to executive management and hold them accountable as much as possible. But we're a long ways off from that. Absolutely. Well, John, thank you very much uh, for your insights on the Equifax breach. I was looking forward to uh, chatting with you about that. I hope our listeners got something out of it as well. And thank you for listening and watching this episode of Enterprise Security Weekly. We won't see you next week because we'll be at DerbyCon. So hope to see you there. If not, you know, keep watching. Thanks, everyone.